Sunday morning, and here, this is the weekend of our picnic. We had that all day yesterday. And I have been teaching on Revelation, uh, and I'm going to kind of defer from that till next week. And since this is people from out of town, uh, I want to teach on the things, the things... that we believe and what what we don't believe we appear to be in the middle of the apostasy Apostasy is the word apostasis. It is the word falling away. It's one word in the Greek. Falling away. Apostasis. From apostasis it comes from two words. Apo means, means off with and stasis now in the Greek you'll have something called morphemes a morpheme means shape morphemes I've got books on morphemes and it means word shapes word shapes And when you get to studying the word shapes, when you're looking at a word in your Strong's Concordance, and it will say C and give you a number, that means it comes from the basic same word. So look that word up, and you'll begin to find out. If you're looking at a word, look at the word before it, and the one before that, and before that, and look at the ones after it, and a lot of times you'll find that all these words come from the same word so that way you can get a better understanding of what the word is about and stasis has many words in its morphemes it has stao s-t-a-o stasis means to stand and it has the word histeme h-i-s-t-e-m-i it's actually i-s the h there are no H's in the Greek language. There is what's called a diacritical. A diacritical mark. And when you find it on the front of a word, it has an H sound. Histeme. Horizo. So histeme uh, means to be upright. Stao means to stand, to stand or be upright. And we also get the word staros. And when the Bible says, the day of the Lord, when he comes back, will not come until two things happen. Number one, there has to be a falling away. That word apostasis has another word 
that is associated with it. Apostasion, A-P-O-S-T-I-S-I-O-N. Apostasion. Apostasion. Apostasion, which is a form of apostasis, falling away, is the word divorce. There's going to have to be, Christ is going to have to be divorced by the church. That is, that they will fall away from truth. And you get the word staros, which is the word cross, and also the word S-T-A-U-R-O-O, which is the word crucify. So there's been a removal of all these things. Standing upright, a man who was said to be standing upright was said to be bearing his cross in the first century. And when we don't bear a cross, we've divorced Christ. The Bible says, He that beareth not his cross and followeth after me cannot be my disciple. You can't be following Christ without a daily cross. You can't be a disciple. Disciple is the word mathetes. We get our word mathematics from that. Mathetes. And if we are a learner, that means a learner, then you have to have a learner. You have to have a daily cross. You have to be crucifying self. But you won't do that. Somebody else will do that to you when you start telling them truth. Now, we're talking about one of the major beliefs that we have is predestination. The Bible says in Romans 8 and 29, I never heard Romans 8 and 29 read by my Baptist preacher father. I never heard him read any verses on predestination. A fellow come up to me and quoted, he heard me and some guys discussing, I was about 21, heard us discussing how God knows everything. He said, well, let me tell you guys something. He said, here's what the Bible says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he be the firstborn among many brethren. And I just about fell out. It's like a, it was like a hammer that hit me in the head. And I wrestled with that a couple of days, and I kept saying, if the Bible says this, it's true, and you don't just preordain something, God, without it being mathematically structured in a particular place. So I began studying predestination from that viewpoint. The word predestination, when the Bible says for whom he did foreknow, whom is the word whos, O-U-S, with the alpha privative, whos, not the alpha, the diacritical mark, whos. It's that little mark there. For whom? That's masculine gender, singular. So this is talking about a people that he foreknew, prognosco. And that seems to be a very familiar word. That's because it is. Prognosco, we would, I, that would be our word, prognosis. 
Gnosis is the word science or knowledge, and prognosco is the word foreknow. God says, whom he did foreknow, those are the people, those that he had a personal, intimate relationship with. I can't write. K-N-O-W. When I'm talking. Foreknow, prognosco means to know intimately beforehand. God had a family that he knew before the foundation of the world. People say, but predestination sounds like fatalism. When you think of fatalism in our day and time, in our language, people will say, well, that means if God foreknew somebody that he preordained them to be in heaven someday and they could live the way they want to live. Predestination is about responsibility. And it's about accountability. It's about responsibility and accountability because the Bible, you have to study all these things together. When the Bible says, here is the reason for predestination, you have to know the wickedness of your own heart in order to believe it. You've got to know how wicked you are. The Bible says there is none righteous in Romans 3.10 and through 12. None righteous. If you really know that you're not righteous, God's got to let you see. Sometimes he has to let you get older, let you get out and sin and find out just how wicked your heart is. I believe the people, reason people don't believe in predestination, they've never been made to realize how evil their heart is. I was a real good little boy growing up. Just, you couldn't blame me for nothing. I was a good kid. Just always did everything my father said. My older brother, Clyde, would beat me up. He was a lot bigger than me. And he'd beat me up and hold his hand on me. And Daddy'd come in and whip both of us for fighting. Clyde come in and thump me on the head and hit me and slap me and hold his hand on me. And I couldn't understand that. I thought I was a good kid, and I was. I never got in trouble. I made A's all through elementary school. I made good grades in high school. I thought, what's wrong with me? I'm a good kid. He kept giving those invitation hymns over and over, and I kept walking out. I just really wanted to know Jesus. I got older and I had this big voice and I started singing gospel music and I got into my sin that I didn't know was out there. I didn't know it was in my heart. I can't tell you all the things that I did. And I moved over into pop music. I sang in over 300 super clubs in America. And I found out I had a wicked heart. If God would just let me loose and pull his restraining hand off of me, I wasn't that good little boy that I thought I was. I actually believed I was as good a kid as there was. I found out I had a heart. If God will put you in a position and open your heart up to temptation, 
you'll do the most evil, godless thing that's ever been done. You'll do just as bad as Adolf Hitler if God pulls his restraining hand off of you. And that's everybody here. Now, I've admitted what's in my heart. Now, the Bible says there's no temptation taking you, Jim Brown, but such as is common to every man in your congregation. So I know what's in your heart. I know how evil your heart is because I've admitted to God he's brought me to a place to admit how wicked my heart is. And I know what you're capable of. I've done some things that were against the law. Now, God has created everything. Creates evil. He said, I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. God actually ordains murder. People say, well, I just don't like that. Let me show you how he ordains murder. Look here in Acts, in Acts, the fourth chapter. If he ordained the murder of Jesus, that's about as bad as you can get. What do you call it when you kill a man who's completely innocent? call it murder don't you was Jesus completely innocent totally he was the lamb of God look here in Acts the fourth chapter <clears throat> Peter and John had been preaching there you're still at the Passover in Acts 2 it's still in effect and they had healed a man <clears throat> the man was lame from his mother's womb in Acts 3 and 2. Well, the Pharisees heard about this, and they said, Whose name have you healed this man in? Well, this is 50 days, 50 days after Jesus was crucified on a cross by these same Pharisees, and they said he was a blasphemer. Now, when you get up here to Pentecost, the Pharisees are not in any better frame of mind than they were back here. So when Peter and John, in Acts 3, they heal this man, and then the Pharisees take him into custody and say, Don't you preach in this man's name! Boy, they got enraged. And they said over there in, in the fourth chapter, they said, There's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. In verse 12, there's not salvation any other. So the Pharisees took them and threatened them. If you keep preaching in this name, this is another reason in Acts 2 in Acts 2 this is another reason that the Pharisees wouldn't have turned over their public waterworks their public waterworks to wash anybody in water because they were mad enough at them in Acts 3 to kill them when the Bible says, Peter says, Repent and be baptized in the name of Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
we don't believe in water baptism here. There is no possible way that Peter could tell the 3,000 converts to go be dipped in water. The nearest water was about 20 miles away, 20 miles, and that was the Jordan River. And if you think the Pharisees who are in charge of Jerusalem's government are going to let any part of those 3,000 converts to be dipped in any water they've got, not on your life, because when you get to Acts 3, they're saying, don't you even talk in this man's name. We're going to beat you if you do. <clears throat> what was Peter saying? He wasn't saying, repent and be dipped in water. Repent and be baptized. Baptized comes from bapto, or baptizo, and bapto. You'll find that in Strong's Concordance. You'll find that in Strong's Encyclopedias, McClinic and Strong. You'll find that in Girdlestone. Robert Becker Girdlestone will tell you that it had a dual meaning. Baptized comes from baptizo, meaning to cover. To cover does not mean to dip into anything. If you cover somebody up, you pull. When he said be baptized in, the word in is epi. It means to cover or over. He's saying be baptized with the true baptism. Be covered with the stain or dye. And Christ has washed us. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? Absolutely. The Church of Christ know that, except they don't know that it's not H2O, it's blood. He's washed us from our sins in His own blood. That's ba If there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, that's blood, not water. Well, I thought Jesus was washed in water. He was. That was a proselyte process, and I'm not going to go into that right now. Well, I'll just say the Pharisees said, if you'll be circumcised, washed in water, and offer two turtle doves at the temple, you could be a member of Israel or the kingdom of God. And the Pharisees kept calling Jesus a Samaritan. And they hated Samaria, which is northern Israel. They said northern Israel was corrupt. They wouldn't set foot in there. So, Jesus tells John, let's fulfill all righteousness. Let's fulfill the righteousness of the Pharisees. And they said in their halakha, their verbal law, that if you would undergo these three things, you could become a member of Israel. That was a naturalization process. So Jesus says, let's fulfill their righteousness. And they said in their halakha, which was their verbal law, that if you would go through this process, that they had to listen to you. That's what the Pharisees said. So they were rejecting Jesus, and he says to John, they'll have to listen to me by their verbal law. I don't know of anybody that preaches the law. I never heard anybody else in America ever even talk about the halakha. I've got dozens of books on the halakha, particularly the literature of the sages in the compendia. There's two volumes on it, great big thick volumes. It was the beliefs of the Pharisees. It's called literature of the sages. A sage was a wise man, but they weren't very wise. The set of books. 
the commentary on the New Testament for the Talmud and Hebraica is all about Mr. Lightfoot going through the Gospels, going through some of the epistles, and bringing out what the Pharisees' halakha was. I haven't heard John MacArthur mention it, and he's the most educated of the guys out there that I know of. Never heard him mention the halakha. Well, that's what... That's what they said in their halakha. So Peter was saying, repent and be baptized. Here you are. You got 3,000 people. You say, boy, that sure was a lot to be saved. It wasn't very many. The compendia, excellent set of books, says they estimate there could could have been as many as 12 million people at the Pentecost in Acts 2. Pentecost comes 50 days after the Passover. And Jesus was killed at the Passover and the Pharisees hated him and his followers. They're not going to cooperate with them. When you get to Acts 2, uh, finding some of their pools of water to let them dip, dip people in, no way. Well, there was 3,000 out of 12 million approximately. So what do you got? You got three out of every 12,000 or one out of every 4,000 people believed. One four-thousandth believed. That's not very many, is it? So, anyway, let's get on with this. I can't stop on this. I got other points to bring out of things that we believe. I'm pointing out does God preordain, predestinate murder? Absolutely. He predestined the murder of Jesus, didn't he? Now look here. So you get to you get to the third chapter. They heal this man. The Pharisees jump their case and say, Don't you preach in this man's name. We hate him. That's why we killed him. We're not going to cooperate with you on dipping people in water. And that's not what Peter meant. So, they threatened Peter and John. If you mention his name, we'll come get you and beat you. Don't you even mention his name. Well, they let him go. And they go back to the apostles and speak and begin to pray out loud in Jesus' name to do the thing that they were threatened. If you do this, we're going to beat you. Then we'll stick you in prison. And in verse 23, and being let go, the Pharisees let him go. But they are under the threat of the Pharisees. Being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, they're not supposed to be calling on him out loud. Don't even speak in his name. They're praying out loud in the presence of everybody. Lord, thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. This is their prayer to God. 
who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things as a reference to the Pharisees? The kings of the earth stood up the day that Jesus was crucified. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers gathered themselves together the Lord against his Christ. What is he talking about the kings of the earth stood up? What is he talking about the rulers? He's talking about Herod and Pilate. Now Herod was an Idumean king. He was a descendant of Esau. Esau, his land was just south of Israel. Let me say this slow. Esau was, let me see if I can find this here. Esau was, you see where it says Edom? That is south of Israel. The Edomites, another name for Esau was Edom. It comes from the name Adam, which means red. Maybe Adam was American Indian. I don't know. <laughs> so Edom was south of Israel. Where does the king of Israel come from? Huh? Somebody tell me. Judah. Judah. Well, what in the world is Judah? Judah is the scepter will not depart from Judah and they've got an Edomite being a king the day that Jesus died. Pilate was a governor. I used to think Pilate was the king back then when I was a little kid. Pilate was a governor, and he was a representative of Rome. He was a Roman. Herod was an Idumean from Edom, and when you read about the Idumeans, you read this book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, it'll tell you about all the different Herods that were vying for the governorship of, or the kingship of Israel. They would go over here and court, they would court the Roman emperors, and then they'd come back and the Romans would appoint them to be a king and they would go about their business of being very unrighteous and unholy. This is life and times of Jesus the Messiah. You can read about the Herods in here. It's a pretty difficult book. So the best thing to do is look in the index and look at the Herods. Look up Herod. It'll tell you about Herod Agrippa. Uh, the different Herods that were Herod Agrippa is the one that Paul stood in front of over in that 26th chapter of Acts now Pilate was just a representative and Pilate said I find no fault in him to crucify him and the Jews begin to scream at him and say if you don't put him to death we're going to tell Caesar on you and Pilate said, I've got to do what they want to do. It wasn't Pilate that killed him. It was the will of the Pharisees, the most religious people in the land that killed him. So, when it says the kings were there, the rulers were there, 
this is very important to understand. The kings were there, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles. Who were the Gentiles that were there that day? Gentiles are everybody that's not a Jew. There's some Gentiles there that day. There were the Roman soldiers. They were Gentiles, weren't they? And they put a blindfold on him. And the Bible says they beat him in the face. And they'd say, prophesy, you prophet. Who is it that hit you? They would buffet him. That means to punch. They were Gentiles there that day. It was a Gentile Roman soldier that pierced his side. Blood and water came out. It was a Gentile soldier that stood in front of the cross and said, Surely this was the Son of God. But they were there to murder Jesus. He was innocent, wasn't he? If he was innocent, they were killing him. They conjured a lie against him. They said he was blaspheming. And they lied about him. And they got at least two witnesses to do that. And then it says, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pilate, with the Gentiles, the people of Israel, were gathered together. The people of Israel were gathered together saying, Crucify him! What did Jesus mean when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? Do you think he was forgiving everybody in the crowd? No. He was talking about his followers that had joined the mob and was screaming, mob violence is, people go along with the crowd. And they were screaming, crucify him. And Jesus was saying, these believers of mine out here, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then it goes on to say, that they were there for to do. Verse 28. Here's what they were there doing. They were there for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel. They're praying to God. Whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. The word determined before is the word pro horizo predestined to be done the death of Jesus was predestined by God and it was murder well that's hard to get hold of isn't it? but look over here in John the 10th chapter John 10 and many people will deny this and argue because they want to say, well, God wouldn't do that. That's exactly what he did. And then it said here in John 10. John 10. Let's start here in about verse 17. 
Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. I lay my life down. How can he be laying his life down and they're committing murder? God manipulated the minds of Pilate and of, and of Herod and of the people. He had to put it in their minds to kill Jesus as the Passover lamb because this was on the Passover. No man taketh my life from me. She said, nobody's taking my life. But I lay it down of myself and have power. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. I've got the power to resurrect from the dead. You know what I believe Jesus did? He came into his own over in the Old Testament. His own was the Jews. And the Bible says, but his own received him not as God. They kept going after Baal and the grove and the sun god and the tree goddess of, of all the Mediterranean region. They went after hundreds of them. And God said, they didn't receive me. They liked that idol worship over there. That idol worship was the tree goddess. It is the Christmas tree and the fire god. This is the same system that Constantine brought in the church and renamed Christ Mass. We don't believe in Christmas here. Christmas has nothing to do with Jesus. Has nothing to do with it. The Mass is eating human flesh, and the Roman Catholics took John the sixth chapter, John six, where Jesus said, Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. But he turned around. That was an idiom. If you don't know idioms, you're just lost as a goose studying the Bible. Eat flesh and drink blood was an idiom. That is a saying, a figure of speech. What amazes me is Jesus turned right around and defined what he meant when he said it. He said, let me tell you what my flesh is. And let me tell you what my blood is to drink flesh. See, eat flesh and drink blood was against God's law in the book of Leviticus. God took one of the old idiomatic languages and sayings and applied it to his people and said, here's what eat flesh is. Here's what drink blood is. He said, my flesh is. If you put is flesh is meat indeed he says my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed well instead of is you can put equals is is the same thing as equals. My flesh equals meat indeed. So to eat flesh means to eat meat indeed. The word indeed, A-L-E-T-H-E-S. Alethes is the word indeed. It means of truth. 
So to eat flesh and drink blood, it was against God's law. And Leviticus, the 17th chapter, for believers to drink blood. They had to kill a lamb, hang it up, dry it out. And they had a method of preparing the food without blood in it. That is what they called kosher. And we've kind of used that word out of context. Kosher was to drain the blood out of an animal and cut it up properly. So they couldn't drink blood. And the blood is drink indeed. So when you eat flesh and drink blood, it's not Christmas. It's not the Mass. The Roman Catholics said... We're going to raise this Eucharist up and utter the words hocus corpus im fili. That's Latin. They said this, this bread will turn into the literal body of Christ. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about partaking in a slaughter. Eat flesh and drink blood. You'll find that in Ezekiel, the 39th chapter. And you'll find it in Revelation. The 19th chapter, where that God says, I'm going to call the fowls of the air together. When I come in my inflaming fire, taking vengeance on all those that know not God, that obey not the gospel, and I'm going to tell the fowls of the air, I've come and destroyed all the pagans of the earth, and you can come and eat flesh and drink blood. He says the fowls will come and eat flesh. They'll partake in this slaughter. When we eat flesh and drink blood, we eat and drink of truth. Truth is the word alethes, or aletheia, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A. And when you look this up in your concordance, it will tell you from one one, when you look up one in your Strong's Concordance, one is the first number in there, and it'll tell you as one is A. From one as a neg part. That means from A as a negative particle. And that's, this is the first thing you see in your concordance in the dictionary. From one as a neg part. Every time it says that, it means it's got an alpha privative in front of it. Let me put it as a smaller one. It's got the alpha privative. And it comes from aletheia. comes from lanthano. which means to lie hid, conceal. Now that's amazing because the truth is not to conceal or hide anything. When you take the cover, it means to take the cover off. has the same meaning as reveal. Reveal and truth are basically the same meaning, same definition. Reveal is apo, K-A-L-U-P-T-O. Apocalypto is a form of apo, meaning a removal 
of kalupto is the word cover. And revelation is the word apokalupsis, A-P-O-K-A-L-U-P-S-I-S. Revelation is not a mysterious book. Mystery, Musturian, Musturian, uh, it comes from the word muo, meaning to shut the mouth, and it means the unrevealed facts. Apocalypto, reveal, has the same meaning as revelation. I'm teaching on revelation on Sunday mornings. All you have to do to understand revelation is to define every major word in the book. That's all I do. It's real. It's basically simple. Some of you have been here, me teaching on Sunday morning Revelation. When you know the definition, you see what it means. Isn't it easy to understand? Isn't it? It's not even hard, is it? It's not. It's that nobody knows what anything means. You got seven candlesticks in the first chapter. I wonder where that came from. You mean Exodus, the 25th chapter, the Old Testament? Yeah. I love the... I love this picture here. I had Jesse put this up. I love this. When the Bible speaks in the 7th chapter of 1 Kings that Solomon was building the temple. He, he starts building the temple in the 4th chapter and builds it through the ninth chapter. And the Bible says that he built the sea. This was the brazen sea. You go to the fourth chapter of Revelation, and it says he built the sea. Of, he built the brazen sea, and you go back over to Exodus, the 38th chapter, and he built the sea out of the looking glasses of the women. He told the women, bring your looking glasses they didn't have glass like we have glass with the silver on the back of it. Didn't have that. I keep reminding people when I'm teaching on this, if you saw the old Ten Commandments movie that came out in 58, 59, something like that, with Charlton Heston, and he was playing Moses in there, that he goes into the, into the uh, king's house in Egypt, and there's Nefertiri. She's looking in her looking glass, fixing her face, and she has one of those bronze. They hadn't developed those mirrors like we have. She had one of those bronze, polished bronze mirrors looking into it. I'll never forget that. That's what this was made of. That's why it's called the glassy sea. It's not even hard. It's just... It has, it's got the glassy sea, and then it tells you why do they have a sea instead of a labor. A labor was a small, was just a small place for the priests to wash their hands when they first come out of Egypt. Well, how many priests did they have when they come out of Egypt? They had Aaron. They had two of his sons 
Ithamar and Eliezer. It's not going to take any more than a labor for these three guys to wash their hands and their feet, is it? That's all they had. But all the high priests through the years after that, Ezra was a high priest. Ezra. Eli was a high priest there in 1 Samuel, the second chapter, Eli. Yet all these high priests through the years that come out of these two men. So they had to increase the size of the wash basin so they made a sea out of it. And you'll see the sea talked about in the seventh chapter of 1 Kings. But you won't understand it if you what do they mean they made a sea? Do you mean they made the Mediterranean Sea? No. They called this a sea. Because it held two thousand baths, and it'll tell you exactly those words. The reason people don't understand the Bible, they don't look up what these things mean. Don't listen to Jack Van Ampey and Hal Lindsey, they're goofy. They'll say, Well, there was a sea and they walked upon the sea and they just say crazy things. I love that. These and everybody inside this area had to be Levites. Levi was the third son of Jacob, but because you were a Levite didn't mean you were a high priest. You had to be a son of Aaron. Aaron was one of the descendants of Levi. So you had to be to work in the precincts of the temple. All of these men have to be Levites. But to go into the go into the temple and sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant, you had to be a high priest, a descendant of Aaron, Moses' older brother. He was three years older than Moses. Now, I got to get on with this. Where was I? So he said, "No man takes my life." I lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. What he's saying, I've got the power to resurrect from the dead. Here's what I believe. Jesus came into his own in the Old Testament. They didn't receive him, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. you got to remember, every time you find a word... It don't mean it's the same as every other time you find that word. As many as received him in John the first chapter, that's not the word decomai. First Corinthians two fourteen is decomai. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Decomai comes from deck, which is ten. A decade is ten years. This word in John, the first chapter, received is the word labano. Two different, completely different words. You need to look up the words every time you look at something. Jim, how do you remember all this? I've looked them up thousands of times. Not a few times. I have looked at things so many times, I can't tell you how many times. I can't tell you how many times I've searched out. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. I've looked at that in the Greek dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times, thinking maybe I missed something. 
The Bible doesn't, when you start talking to somebody and they say, well, the Bible says God loves everybody in the world, John 3, 16. It does not. It says, for God so loved. Well, if you don't know what so is, you're up a creek. It's an adverb. It's an adverb. Now, I learned this somewhere about the ninth to the tenth grade, and I've never forgotten it. Had somebody tell me they don't teach that in school today. I don't think they do. I'll tell you what you kids need to do. You need to learn this, because you may need it someday. So is an adverb. Here's what adverbs do. They tell how, when, where, and sometimes why. Like he threw the ball over the barn. Where? Over is an adverb. Tells you how, when, where, and why. And they do something. What do they do? They modify verbs, adjectives, and other adverbs. This is not college English. This, when I was in school, I was in the ninth grade, 1952, 1953, I was in the 10th grade, 1954 and 55, I was in the 11th grade, and then the 12th grade, 56 and 57, I got out of school. They modify verbs, adjectives, and other adverbs. This is very important in order to know what so means. Doesn't say God loved everybody in the world. What does they do? They modify. They alter. They alter verbs. First of all, in John 3.16, it alters the word loved. It does, God couldn't have loved everybody if he got soul there. There's no way. So I've preached messages. I've called the whole message so. That is the most important word in John 3.16. So, it tells how and what fashion God loved. It says, for God so loved. If you have an adverb that starts with so, you better find out what it's talking about from the previous verses. It's talking about John 3.14. As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness... Lift it up. We read over their numbers when they're in the wilderness and they were murmuring against God. And Moses, God had Moses make a brazen serpent. And all of these, that's because all these poisonous snakes were coming into the camp and biting people. And the Bible says, whosoever looked, lived. Whoever looked, that was this message to everybody in the world who ever looked to live. No. They were in the wilderness 
I really want you to learn what I do with that thing. So, huh? I found it. <laughs> they were in the wilderness. They were somewhere here in the wilderness as they're headed to go up above the Dead Sea to enter into the land. But they're still out here in the wilderness. And they're murmuring against God. God turns all these poisonous serpents in. And he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For God in this same fashion loved the world. He didn't love everybody. He so loved. That's, you know, so I don't want to know about adverbs. Well, you better learn about it. Because you can't explain John 3.16 to nobody. He so loved the same way they were in the wilderness. This was only to the believing Jews in the wilderness. And whoever looked at the brazen serpent lived through the poisonous bites. Charles Persian said, that's the verse that got his attention. Look and live. But who's going to look? The hearing ear and the seeing eye. The Lord has made even both of them. Only those that have a seeing eye will look and live from the sin. God didn't. I did one message. God so loved the world, but he didn't love the snakes. Didn't love them. So he so loved. So in the same fashion they were without John three fourteen, there ain't no need to quote John three sixteen to some hit hard head. It doesn't do any good. Because they're not they're, I don't care about bad verbs. I don't care about so. God loved all the world. He did not. And then it doesn't say whosoever. Whosoever whosoever is not in anywhere in the original text. Not there. Whosoever is a conjured up word by translators. Every time you find whosoever, whosoever believeth in him, it sounds like when you have whosoever, it sounds like will, doesn't it? Whosoever will. <laughs> Nobody will come. It's never whosoever. And in John 3.16, it doesn't say whosoever will. It says, For God in this fashion loved, first of all, loved. Loved is the word A-G-A-P-E-O. Agapao is the word loved. That is the verb. The noun form is agape. And being a verb, so modifies the verb loved. This is how he loved the world. That's what he's saying. This is how. Whoever looks lives. But you won't look if you don't have the seeing eye. Proverbs 20 and 12. The seeing eye, the hearing ear, the Lord made him both of them. You can't hear God. Even when he said, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Hear is the word 
akuo. And the word obey is hoop. Obey is hoop. A-K-O-U-O. And obey means to hear under. Hoopo is under. Under. And what it means, it means to be subordinate. Does anybody have any bosses out here? Huh? Does anybody have a boss? Do you have, are you subordinate to them? What they tell you to do? We have a boss. His name is Jesus. We got to do what he says. Especially what he commands. Whenever you have an imperative mood in the Greek, probably a couple of my favorite imperative moods are strive to enter in at the straight gate. I was reading a, it was a, it was a, a Jerusalem, claimed to be a Jerusalem Bible that Holly across the street had and she brought over last night and I started reading it I said good grief and they they were saying things like instead of strive to enter and in the straight gate it said try your best <laughs> the terrible translation awful the word strive is agonizomai It is our word agonize. And it comes from the word agon. And the agon was the arena where they put the Christians, fed them to the lions. There's the agon. It went all the way around. And they put the Christians in there to be eaten by the lions and by the tigers. Sometimes they would put them in there and turn them, all, turn them against the gladiators. The, yeah, the gladiators would come in and they would slaughter the Christians to the day. About 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the, the Caesar, who was sitting up there dictating what was going on, would say, I'm tired. Uh, put those Christians in last. The last ones, the first ones were given, sometimes were given swords if they could kill a professional super fighter, a gladiator who knew how to kill, they might let them go with the sword. They didn't hardly ever come out of that. But at the end of the day, Paul said, we were appointed last in this theater. We were appointed last and the last ones that were in there, they took all their swords away, turned the gladiators in on them, said, get rid of them, we got, I'm tired, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm ready to go home. They watched them kill them all day long. And they took their swords away in the afternoon, and Paul said, we are appointed last. Alright, so it doesn't say whosoever believeth in him. Here's what it says. It says in the original text of the interlinear Bible, the text of Sheceptus, this is what it says in the Greek. It doesn't say whosoever. Whosoever believeth in him, 
just that's crazy stuff it says for God in this fashion loved loved is agape agape is walking in the commandments of God walking in commandments Second John 6 this is agape that we walk after his commandments agape was a relationship that fathers had for their sons and daughters that kings had for their subjects this is agape that we walk after his commandments that would include the imperative moods agonizing agonizing entering in not try your best to enter in you can't try your best strive that's an imperative command get in the agon and die daily and we will die daily then he says that's why when he said he loved Jacob and hated Esau loved Jacob and hated Esau Jacob is the only one he did love Jacob's name was changed to Israel in Genesis the 32nd chapter Genesis 32nd when Jacob was coming back from the land of Haran after 20 years being exiled over there in Haran he had to run for his life to get away from to get away from uh, he's over here in Haran and he had to run for his life to get away from Esau over here in Judea and he ran away about 650 miles away came over here got him two wives over there in Haran and that was Rachel and Leah his true love was Rachel she was sneaky <laughs> she stole some of her father's gods and as he was coming back somewhere along the way an angel from heaven confronted him said what is your name he said Jacob he'll catch her Jacob he said you'll no longer be called Jacob you'll be called Israel or Israel which means to prevail with God and his 12 sons became the nation so when the Bible says Jacob have I loved it's talking about giving Israel the commandments of God he didn't give no commandments to Esau and that's what love is if God loves you he's done the same thing that he did to Jacob He's written on fleshy tables of your heart the law. And you know what's right and you know what's wrong and you know when you're living wrong. Does everybody know when they're doing things wrong? <laughs> we all know that, don't we? We get on an edge and we start justifying our own actions, don't we? Everybody here is a sinner. And you have to battle that till the last day. Now he didn't say he, he so loved Israel that it doesn't say that whosoever believeth in him. Here's what it says. It says that the believing all the the is a definite article 
means there's no other. It's singular. Believing is a, that is, and in, that's a participle. A participle is an ing word, and it is a adjective. Adjectives tell which, what kind of, kind of, and how many. It's good to know what adjectives and adverbs are. What kind of, how many. And they modify, they alter, they modify, they alter nouns and pronouns. A pronoun simply takes the place of a noun. Jim threw the ball. Jim is a proper noun. A noun is a person, place, or thing. Person, place, or thing. Table is a noun. Jim is a noun. Car is a noun. Jim threw the ball. He. A pronoun takes the place of a noun. He was referring back to Jim. Therefore, all the pronouns have to carry the same gender as the noun it refers back to. That's called an antecedent. An antecedent. So the antecedent of he is Jim. I can't say Jim threw the ball, she. I'm not a she. And your wife is not an it, I keep saying. Somebody calls and says, Mary there? Well, it's out in the yard. I don't say it. If I say it, she'll beat me in the head with someone she comes in. You've got, you've got, everything's got to match in the Bible. It says that the believing pos, and that's a pronoun, and it's singular. How can all be singular? There's one all. There's one believing all. Believing is singular. They is singular. There's one particular believing all. What is that? It is the flock. It is the church. It is the wife. It is the bride. It's one all. When the last one comes in, it'll all be over. And what the last one will come in at the last trump. Goodness, I need to go there, I guess. We don't believe in a pre-trib rapture. That was brought to America by a man named J.N. Darby. And whether anybody likes it or not, that's what most of the preachers preach. They preach that he brought that to America in eight, around 1836. He also brought premillennialism with him. 
And I guess America thought millennium comes from mill and annum. Annum means years, or not two ends, one end. A-N-N-U-M. A-N-U-M. Mill means thousand, annum means years. There's not a thousand year reign. Things don't mean what the English says in the Bible. They just don't. The reason everybody's confused is because the preachers are just saying stuff out of an English Bible with no reference to English, with no no reference to participles or participle is not a hard word it's just an ing word that's an adjective telling which would kind of how many and modifying nouns and pronouns that's real simple adverbs telling how when and where and sometimes why and modifying verbs adjectives and other adverbs when they modify they sit right in front of them and they put a condition on them you can't just say oh the bible says this yeah I know and look over here. We don't believe in a pre-trib rapture. Look over here in First Corinthians. I've learned to give you some... The English I teach is not college English. It's ninth, maybe eighth, ninth, tenth, and eleventh grade English, sometimes twelfth grade English, from when I was in high school in the mid-50s. That's all the English I ever had. And what I'm teaching is what I learned. I don't think they teach kids this nowadays, do they? They don't. It's crazy. I haven't had a good English teacher since 8th huh? grade. You what? I didn't have a good English teacher since 8th grade. The reason you can't understand English and you can't understand algebra, I use algebra up here all the time all the time. People say, that's amazing. Well, I say, it's algebra. Well, I didn't understand algebra. You understood that. I use it all the time in my teaching. It's the reason you don't understand things, algebra and English and so forth, is because you had a bad teacher. That's why. If they get up there and they just mumble something, and you don't understand what's going on, raise your hand and say, I don't understand what you're saying. Now, don't believe in a pre-trib rapture. How much time do I have, Mike? 23. Let me see if I can get through this. I can't give you all this. I gave you something on baptism. We don't believe in Christmas. Christmas is Christ's mass. It's eating human flesh, and we don't believe in that. It was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America for good reason. The Puritans, before they were called Puritans, were being slaughtered in, in England and in Europe because they wouldn't partake of the sacrament of the Mass. So they were taken out and they were just tortured. Their skin was peeled off. They were Sometimes the women would have their breasts cut off. They'd stick a stob up their bottom and set them out in the field and cut their hands off and let them languish till they died because they wouldn't partake of the sacrament of the Mass. You can find that in Fox's Book of Martyrs. 
I've had some people reading this. I can't read that. It's too hard. Well, welcome to the world of Christianity where they tortured the Christians because they wouldn't partake of the mass. Now, look here in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I'll show you a mystery. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. That word moment, atomos, A-T-O-A-M-O-S. That was, they considered an atom being the smallest of particle matter, atom. That comes from the word, we get our word atom from that. But they finally split the atom, they found it wasn't the smallest particle. We're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Well, that's the time factor of our being changed. We shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're going to be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, and I looked up twinkling on the internet, and an eye twinkles in about one billionth of a second. That's how quick, boom, we'll be gone. I can't even say boom quick enough. As fast as the eye twinkles, that's from the time the eye hits the retina, goes through your pupil, hits the retina, and, and, and reflects back. That's pretty quick. But it'll be at the... And you can't even get preachers at the last trump. Now here's what... This is what... All the Baptists in America believe this is what they teach. Let me erase this. Here's what everybody teaches. I was raised with pre-trib rapture teaching. My father, all of his friends, all of the Baptists, most of the Pentecostals, they teach that we're in something they call dispensations. Now dispensation in the New Testament is the word oiko, O-I-K-O, N-O-M-I-A, okonomia. It is a construction of oikos, and no most. You can get that in your concordance. But when you go into a Webster's Dictionary, they will tell you, if you look up the word economy, economy or economia, it's pronounced just about like this. And it means the economy of a household. Christ is the son of his own house. Whose house are we? We're the house of God. And that's what they called the inner sanctuary of the temple. They called this God's house because he came down and lived upon the Ark of the Covenant. So this was the house of God. And now that's us. 
and the economy of a house comes from oikos, meaning house or family. House or family. And nomos means law. That's the Greek word law. It means the law of a household. And we're the house of God. And we have a law written in our hearts. That's the economy of God's household. How we're supposed to live. Well, they have divided this up. They say dispensations is a period of time. That is crazy. That's what all these Baptists say. Dispensation is the same word. Here's what gets me. When you look at the word stewardship or steward, we're stewards of the house of God. It will tell you that stewardship is O-I-K-O-N-O-M-I-A. And a steward is an O-I-K-O-N-O-M-O-S. A steward is the house law. That's what it is. It's not a period of time. All these Baptists have made these periods of time and they've got all kinds of all kinds of uh, dispensations, they call them. They call them periods of time. They're not periods of time. They're economy of the household of God. All it takes is defining words. And they say, Adam lived in innocence. And then, then they lived in conscience after that. And then they lived, this was Noah and his conscience. How could Noah live by his conscience when the Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. By faith, Noah being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Noah was saved by grace through faith the same way we are. Because God picked him out. He didn't say, would you like to accept me as your personal Savior, Noah? And then they say they live by law under the law. And then they come to the end of the law. And they say this is a new dispensation of grace. Everybody's been saved the same way. And then they say you got grace. And then you got the tribulation period. This is false doctrine. And you'll see preachers do this, or doctors of theology, you got seven years, and they say that's for the conversion of the Jews only. There's, there's a seven years, but there's no division. And then you come to the end of time, then they say there's a thousand year reign. There's everything in the world's wrong with that. When you got seven trumpets, seven. We're going to be changing the twinkling eye at the last trump. There has to be a first trump to be a last trump, doesn't there? There has to be a next to the last trump, doesn't there? Last is the word eschatos, E-S-C-H-A-T-O-S. It comes to the word echo. Echo is more or less our word echo, except it just means to hold. It's a common word 
when someone's holding something. We think of an echo, hello, 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 hello. We think of a sound being held. In the Greek, it means to hold. That's it. It means to hold. Eschatos, we get our word eschatology. Eschatology means the study of the end times. Eschatos means the last in a series after which no other trumpet will sound. Well, we're going to be changed at the last trump. You had seven trumpets. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven is the number of divine refinement. Y'all have heard me say that. And the first trumpet sounded at Nisan. And really notice when this is happening. This is happening during the crop season. Crops. What was God's promise to Israel? If you're obedient to me in Deuteronomy 28, I'll fill up your fields. You won't have to worry about going through the winter and getting through it. If you do everything I say, well, Nisan was the first month of their ecclesiastical year. We get the word ecclesia from that. Ecclesia is the word church in the New Testament. It comes from ek and kaleo. And they had seven trumpets that would sound at the first of every month. And these were the these were the from March, April, that's the beginning of the harvest where they're going to bring in the crops. Fifty days after that is Pentecost. And this first month was Passover. And they're going to be harvesting the crops. And they had a trumpet sound they had a holiday that they call on the first of the month a new moon. And they sounded a trumpet. And they had one, two, three, four, five, six. And the seventh month was September, October. And that was the end of the harvest. We know that. That's why they have Halloween, which was All Hallows' Eve, or Samhain, the end of the harvest. At the end of the harvest, each month they would sound a trumpet at the New Moon Festival. They had seven straight months, and then they would, they would uh, bring in the sheep and the goats, separate the sheep from the goats, and they would go out and bring in the crop and separate the wheat, from the tares that is a picture of the end of time and you got seven trumpets you had seven trumpets here you had seven trumpets when when Joshua marched around Jericho seven days with seven priests having seven trumpets and when they marched around Jericho and they sounded the seventh trumpet they shouted and the walls fell down immediately judgment came. When the Bible speaks of 
Christ will descend from heaven with a shout and they try to make that a secret coming in the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians Christ descends from heaven with a kaluo a war cry now what's he doing making a war cry and saying okay now here we are at the beginning of the tribulation and I come in the air and I just stand up in the air and I call all of you out in a pre-trib rapture and it's a war cry but I'm not making war on the earth yet that's, that's insane and when the Bible says we were to remain and survive unto the coming of the Lord we were to remain and alive unto the coming of the Lord that word remain peri lipa means to survive we that are alive and survive the grain onslaught that's against the church the church is going to be attacked at the end of time now let's look at this before I run out of time look over here in Revelation you got seven angels which are the seven spirits of the seven churches and people who say the church is not here after after the third chapter of Revelation I don't have time to go into that if you got the seven angels of the seven churches or the seven messengers A-G-G-E-L-O-S that's the word angel that's the word angel it means messenger get rid of the word angel out of your Bible if it's a heavenly angel it will be Michael he's the death angel of God that killed 185,000 men in one night and it will, if it's Gabriel, he's the messenger of God. But if it's a preacher, he's also an angel, a messenger. It's not even hard to figure out. Now look over in Revelation. Here's the main reason we don't believe in a millennium. Right here. There's seven angels. You see the seven angels in Revelation 1 and 20. And the mystery of the seven angels which thou sawest in my right hand are the seven stars. These are the seven angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. So these same seven angels in chapter 8, verse 2, I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. A trumpet is a voice that tells you what to do. Da -da 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 that means charge. That's reveille. That means get up out of bed. Trumpets are voices. That's all they are. If you hear da 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 da, that's taps. It means it's time to go to bed. You don't sound taps when you're going to charge into war. So they had seven trumpets. And he says here, in verse 7, the first angel sounded. He says, in verse 8, the second angel sounded. I don't have time to go through what they sounded. A lot of interesting stuff here. Verse 10, the third angel sounded. Verse 12, the fourth angel sounded. Chapter 9, verse 1, the fifth angel sounded. We're, break, we're working up to the seventh angel. 
And verse 13 of chapter 9, the sixth angel sounded. We're looking at the last trump. The seventh angel is going to sound the last trump. Christ comes. And chapter 10, verse 1, I saw another angel, mighty angel, come down from heaven clothed with a cloud. I don't have time to go through all this. And a rainbow was upon his head. And he had a little book open. And he set his right foot on the sea and his other foot on the earth. And cried with a loud voice was when a lion roareth because he is the lion of Judah. This is Jesus. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. When the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Unto me, seal up those things which the seven angels uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw, stand upon the sin upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth for ever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer when the seventh angel sounds. There's no more time. And he goes on to say, In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. Word finished is teleos. Means complete. The mystery is that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs in Ephesians, the third chapter, Colossians, the second chapter. The mystery is the church. What it is saying, the church will be complete and there'll be no time when the last trumpet sounds. There will not be a thousand year reign. Isn't a thousand years... Let me say this to you real quick. I've run out of time. But a thousand can either be plural or singular. There are no indefinite articles in the Greek language. What are indefinite articles? A, the, uh, A, and. There is only definite article the. And there's 24 ways to spell the. I don't have any time to go into that. There's 24 ways to how to spell the, depending on where it is in the sentence. If it's masculine, feminine, neuter, gender, in the plural or masculine, feminine, neuter, gender, in the singular. Depends on what it is. So, when the last trumpet sounds, there'll be time no longer. What are the thousand years? Go over here to Revelation 18. Not 18. Revelation 20. Revelation 20. I saw an angel come down from heaven having a key of the bottomless pit. It's not bottomless pit. That's a terrible translation. Abusas. Get our word abyss from that. <clears throat> Comes from the word bathizo or bathos. Means with something with great knowledge. With 
great knowledge. The alpha primitive place in front of that negates the word means no knowledge. No one but Israel had knowledge of the truth in this world-based system. Nobody. And then he says, he laid hold on the dragon, Dracon, fascinator, smooth talker. This is going to be a world system that talks smooth and convinces everybody. <clears throat> Which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years. That sounds like there's a thousand year reign. The word bound is Dio. It means to forbid. Bound him. And then it says, they bound him or forbid him for a thousand years from doing something. That he should, verse 3, you see a thousand, a is not there. There's no such thing as an a in the Greek language. No indefinite articles. Forget it. Everywhere you find a, it depends on the context. I'm just going to say this one thing. I'm out of time. And he, here's where he was bound, forbidden from, that he should deceive the nations no more till the 2,000 years is finished. The word nation and Gentile are the exact same word, ethos, in the Greek. It means non-Jews. There was a time period of 2,000 years where none of the Jews, or none of the Gentiles, the Gentiles as a whole cannot be deceived. And that was during the New Testament spiritual Israel church age. From Acts 2 to the end of time, which it's been right at 2,000 years, Acts 2 was in 33 A.D. We know that 2,000 years from then, according to our calendar, will be 2033. I don't know if that's the end of time. I'm just showing you something. A day is of the Lord is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. There has The Gentile church cannot be deceived. That reason Satan was bound or deal or forbidden from deceiving all the church. I'm out of time. I would like to go on and on all day long with this. I love being on this subject of prophecy at the end. I believe we're right on the verge of eternity. I believe we're right at the end of time. The apostasy is full force. The charismatics are lying through their teeth. Billy Graham lied about accept Christ, about sinner's prayer for salvation. He lied. He liked numbers. I don't see how Billy Graham got into heaven. He didn't talk about death to self, daily cross, self-denial. He didn't talk about... I didn't like him the first time I heard him. First time I heard him was like 1951. What puzzled me about him, I kept hearing from all these preachers how great he was. My father was talking about how Billy Graham's coming to town. I went out there and watched him. I was waiting for something exciting. 
and I got to thinking it to myself. I was about 12 years old. I was thinking, he sounds like daddy. He sounds like all of daddy's friends. I don't understand it. I didn't understand it at 12. That's the first time I heard him at Will Rogers Coliseum in Fort Worth. He was drawing 100,000, 125, 50,000 people in 1951 and 52. He made these guys today look like amateurs. He was a false teacher. I don't care whether you like it or not. He taught lies, taught an easy Jesus, an easy gospel. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, give us strength to continue. I will continue, Lord. I, if everyone turns away, I'll keep going. And I know these people here love this truth. It just takes definition to find out what the truth is. It's not what people say. Thank you for everything you do, even the bad, what seems to be bad, because it's for our good. Bless the people that have come and those that go back home some distance and they get very discouraged. Help them to just stick with us and watch the DVDs and to watch the Internet. And they are our family, my brothers and sisters, those who do the will of the Father like you said. Thank you for truth. Fight every battle that we have, Lord, because we can't fight anymore. Thank you for truth. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Some gum? Sure. Huh? Love you. Yeah, I love you too. <laughs> oh, here you go. Come here. Come here. Now take some to your sisters here. Take some to your sisters, okay? I'll give you three of them to take to them, okay? Take them to them. What do y'all want? Y'all want yellow gum? Fruity jute? Okay.